Rabbi Ron Fish. He's the interim director of the uh, Anti-Defamation League of New England. Thanks for being with us, sir. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I, I, I talk with a lot of people. I'm open-minded. I don't get involved in name-calling and yelling, Rabbi, but I've had younger people. I've had other people very upset with the Biden administration, very upset with the Biden administration's policies. And while I've been critical of this administration, I've, I've given them kudos and credit for standing with Israel and supporting them in a very tenuous situation, because I think that could have been a lot worse. I think that um, there were folks that wanted to basically hope that that attack led to a bigger war involving Israel. My question, though, is what can you tell me in your league on incidents we've seen in Massachusetts, in New England, right here in New Hampshire, in Maine, and why the level of anti-Semitism so overt and so loud, what do you make of it? Well, again, thank you so much for having me on, and I uh, appreciate so much your framing the conversation about this tragedy, ongoing tragedy in Israel and Gaza, um, the way it needs to be framed. There was a full ceasefire on October 6th. There was uh, an understanding that the responsibility uh, for preventing conflict rests with those who decided to take up arms and brutally mutilate, rape, behead, murder children in front of parents, parents in front of children on October 7th. And the the worst single um, mass murder event of Jews since the Holocaust took place um, on that day among civilians who were not involved in anything except living their lives. Um, And so, yes, that framing is critically important. And we, uh, of course, the Jewish community in the United States, in New England, and around the world, we, uh, we came together to support our brothers and sisters and cousins and friends and neighbors, people I know um, whose children were abducted. Um, we came together to support them, as, as any reasonable community would be expected to. What we did not expect, um, even with all of the opposition to Israel's policies, which are legitimate and which conversation about those policies are necessary and part of universities, part of communities all mm-hmm. across mm-hmm. any kind of intellectually serious space. But what we did not expect to see was, as we saw, for example, the SJP, the Students for Justice in Palestine group at Tufts, um, issued a, uh, a tweet, uh, issued a, a, a flyer that um, celebrated with enthusiasm what had occurred on that day. We didn't expect to see university academics talking about how they were energized by the success. These are direct quotes from their words, whether these professors were at Columbia or whether they were at at Cornell or or at Harvard. These kinds of statements have been shocking. And you're right. These statements create a permission structure for murder, and they created permission structure for anti-Semitism. But what, what, we've observed. Go ahead, Rob. Yeah, sure. Sorry, we've observed at least 744 anti-Semitic incidents since October 7th um, at universities and colleges across the country. Um, these include various kinds of harassment, but they also include physical assaults, which also took place in New England at uh, UMass Amherst, where a Jewish student who was uh, preparing and then helping to take down a, dem- a public demonstration of solidarity with the hostages. Uh, there was a Shabbat table they set up with empty empty chairs 
um, when that was being taken down, a Jewish student was assaulted uh, at UMass Amherst. So this is this is not a problem far away. It's very much here at home, and it is it is deeply disturbing. Seventy three percent of Jewish college students, um, and forty four percent, by the way, of non Jewish students say they have experienced or witnessed anti Semitism right. since the start of this academic year. So that's where we are. I what I again what I I'm trying to be. Um like you, rational, calm, open-minded. But again, I'm a student in history, and I said on my show weeks ago, when this was happening, months ago, these people, these professors, these students, need to go to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., and spend a day or two, and let that sink in. But they also need to know their history. 6.2 million Jewish people, World War II. 6.2 million. And there were many decades where anti-Semitism was just not tolerated. You couldn't even be a, a comedian or anyone and say anything that was remotely acceptable in that arena. And now when I look at a Harvard professor, now I guess in fairness he apologized, but at the height of that weekend, when infants, babies, were sleeping in their bed in those villages in Israel or at the kibbutz, and these terrorists went in and beheaded them in their beds or raped young girls on tops of bodies of their friends that were already killed or kidnapped young women after assaulting them sexually and driving around with the body on their vehicle or kidnapping grandmothers in the numbers that happened on that day, how can anyone teaching at a college not understand the gravity of the attack, who was responsible? And the sad thing, Rabbi, is what, what really ticks me off is there's almost greater empathy among ignorant people in our country today, and a lot of them hold doctorate or master's degree teaching our kids they'd almost have more empathy for Hamas than they do the Israeli people or Jewish people. And I don't get that at all. If you even read about what Hamas is, what their covenants are, do your homework, who backs them, and what their number one goal is to obliterate yeah, Israel. How, how, how can people get so upside down? Now, I understand a lot of innocent people have died in Gaza and a lot of Palestinians. And I understand Israel went with the goal of obliterating and get rid of Hamas who attacked them. I get that. But what I don't get is how anti-Semitism has gotten so out of control, in my opinion, or so popular. I just don't get it. Well, I think one of the things we do at ADL is um, we try to really study these phenomena. And you're right. <laughs> On a certain level, this is it is mystifying. It doesn't feel like uh, a reality that we can, can tolerate or can recognize in America. But at the, on the other hand, there is a long history of anti-Semitism in the Western world, which, you know, needs to be understood in a broader context, even than the, the years of the Holocaust and from 1933 to 1945. Um, there is an anti-Semitic tradition, including in New England, um, which goes back uh, not just decades, but even centuries. And, um, you know, the, the story of um, structural ways in which the society we live in has consistently viewed Jews as somewhat suspect, somewhat not um, a community that should be, should be seen as comparable to other communities, um, is actually an old story. You know, the, if, for those who are familiar with, with Shakespeare, there is, of course, the story in The Merchant of Venice, which is a story of, um, of an unscrupulous Jewish businessman who, in the end, kind of the height of the story, demands the paying back of a loan in a pound of flesh, literally. 
um, this kind of grotesque version of a Jewish merchant uh, is has a traditional history within the the story of how Jews have been perceived. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, that that is not to say that Jews have always been persecuted. And in fact, one thing that's a little difficult to understand is the Jewish community has actually done quite well, not just in America, but in other parts of European history yeah. um, for periods of time. And then things changed. Um, and Jews were expelled, of course, from England. They were expelled from France. They were expelled from Spain. Uh, parts of Germany, um, and those up and down stories of Jews is, I think, what's triggered the Jewish emotional response here after October 7th, the feeling that perhaps something has changed fundamentally in America, too. Um, I don't yeah. believe that. I believe in this country. I believe our values of democracy and tolerance and religious diversity and the embrace of, of everybody is is what we really are but, all but, about. But, but it's something we have to work toward. We're but, not guaranteed it. Now, we have a little extra time. If you have a few minutes, Rabbi uh, Ron Fish, and you can tell us how you can learn learn more, excuse me, about the um, the Anti-Defamation League in New England. But, but Rabbi, I, um, I, I think there's a, um, I, there's so many things. And again, real history matters to me. And if you, and I've been watching, ironically, in the last month or so, I don't know why, maybe it's this time of year, you know, they're still, we're in winter. But much more of the documentaries that are now on Netflix that are amazingly done on, on World War II, um, the rise of Hitler, uh, him marching across Europe, uh, sort of be, before the atrocities were known, uh, as he was rolling over Czechoslovakia, Poland, uh, you know, Paris, and eventually, you know, tried to get Great Britain and pushing back on the Soviets. But my point is, before our own Easy Company and GIs stumbled across their first concentration camp, before we knew the level of this, um, I grew up in a town where I had friends, and we would sit at the dinner table uh, and in Swapscott, Massachusetts, and we had a very vigorous um, Jewish community there. And my friends would sit there, and their father would always say before dinner, and they were a great family to hang around with, my buddy Kenny Perlow, and his father, Sid, would always say, I'm just going to share with you what happened a little bit in history. And the reason is, like a lot of things that are bad, it can happen again. I'll never forget he said that. Mm-hmm. That's what mm-hmm. he said. And I always grew up thinking about that. And I'm looking today, and I'm going, okay, I can get people questioning policies in Gaza. I can get the sympathy towards the Palestinian people and the plight they're in. But a lot of people don't know that Hamas is the governing body of most of the people in Gaza. It used to be the um, uh, Yasser Arafat's group, the Palestinian, you know, the PLO. But if you look at who's governing, you know, Gaza, and you look at Hamas, and you read about Hamas— how can anyone have empathy towards the people that did that attack? That's what I don't get. How can how can some people, George Washington University, glory to the martyrs, um, Harvard, uh, not Harvard, but other professors and students, and you mentioned Tufts, what precision the attack? Where does that evil mindset exist today among our most affluent college campuses? And I submit to you, it's not just anti-Semitic, it's anti-American, it's anti-Israel, and it's it's actually kind of scary. It's evil to me. But where does that mindset come from? Look, the um, the question is a deep and and broad one. But I'll, I'll just point to you to the fact that um, and it's not always the best thing for uh, for Netflix documentaries to un- to unpack. But in Nazi Germany, um, in, in the lead up to those years, one of the places where the greatest anti-Semitic fervor was stoked was, in fact, the universities. 
universities were the kind of the backbone of the beginning of this idea as a uh, a great national movement pushing back against the the darkness which which was in their mind the jews yeah um and and so the universities you know which obviously are critical to to the flourishing of a of a society that wants to understand the world and how to make it better mm-hmm. universities are not immune to intolerance um universities actually in america uh, had quotas that did not permit Jews to join mm-hmm. um, on many uh, and many many campuses across the country. Uh, here in New England, we have Brandeis University, which was in part created in the 1940s because mm-hmm. um, so many uh, elite universities were keeping out Jews. They yeah. just, they made it explicit they did not want well, too many it, Jews. And that helps and explain uni- that helps explain Rabbi. And I pointed out in my show the freshman class at Princeton University at the beginning of World War II. 1939 and 1940, their freshman class did a survey of the world's greatest people. Princeton University in New Jersey, Adolf Hitler, ahead of Albert Einstein, was the freshman class's choice while he was already leading Nazi Germany. Yeah, and the, the, the kinds of things we value, whether it's in commerce uh, or whether it's in academia, they're not immune. So let's recall that Henry Ford, probably the greatest industrialist in the history of this country, uh, he was a rabid anti-Semite who published horrific, mm-hmm. horrific screeds against the Jews. He actually bought a newspaper just for the purpose of spreading those lies. And um, Henry Ford is actually somebody that Adolf Hitler uh, credited for having opened his eyes. Yeah. So whether it's you yeah, know, good great, point. Good point. Uh, great achievement in industry, great achievement in academia, that doesn't prove that someone is, uh, in fact, wise or good. We should ask tough questions of all of our leaders. All right, Rabbi, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Love to get you back in again soon as we uh, just getting a note here on your interview of someone pointing out another example. But, uh, again, if people want to learn more about the Anti-Defamation League, what's the best way? Uh, just reach out to us at uh, ADL.org. We actually have a big national conference coming up next week in New York called Never Is Now. Uh, but we are, uh, we're always here in the New, New England area helping to fight against the defamation of the Jewish people, and for just and uh, equitable treatment for all. Well, you're welcome here anytime. Thank you, sir. Thank you.